we need to get this concept across to people. You're in a vastly different position for a structure that has not been adjudicated, that has not received a decision of the tax court that addresses every single issue related to the annual interest deductions and the deferral of income. So it's been adjudicated. Hi, my name is Dave Sanderson. Welcome to the Red Jacket podcast. At Red Jacket, we believe wealth is the fountainhead of flourishing, not just for you and your family, but for a society. We work with clients who want to grow and protect that wealth. And the greatest destroyer of that wealth is taxation, direct taxation, income tax, corporate tax, and indirect taxation, inflation, which is built into the fiat monetary system. On this podcast, we share with you our insights, our experience, and our relationships, not just so that you can fight those forces, but so that you can exploit them. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Let's go to the case. So the case is called Cassan. So this eventually gets adjudicated. It goes, it goes to the tax, tax court. court of Canada, Justice Owen. And what 2016, happens? we have a three-week trial. Um... Trial goes well. Uh, the uh, Meiji, Al Meiji's team, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the trial really revolved around two sets of issues, which are crucial. One set, which turned out to be by far the most powerful and the most valuable to clients, was everything related to the partnership, the deferral of income, the tax benefits generated, and the significant cash flow generated year after year to the investors, that's what drove the structure. The second part was the donation, which was an add-on. It wasn't essential, but we thought that it would serve two purposes. Number one, it would create huge value in endowment funds generated for charities that would lead to potentially, you know, as it did, to $150 million, but we thought it would ultimately potentially lead to hundreds of millions if it was as successful over time. And it gave investors a bigger in, uh, deduction or credit in the first year. So they're happy that they're getting cash flow and the charity's getting money. It's a win-win. So the trial revolved around two sets of issues. Ultimately, after three weeks, we waited a year and a half. We got a decision. Okay. What, what's, what date do you get the decision? September 8th. Uh, let's see. When was it? 2000 and... Oh, no, I forget the year. We went to court. Oh, 2018. September 8, 2018. 2017. You get an email with a PDF that says, here's the here's the decision? I am I grew up in the Maritimes. So yeah. Visiting my father down the south shore. I'm at his cottage in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, and all of a sudden I get this email. Yeah. At 6 o'clock Friday night. And you don't know what it says. You're going to read it. I'm going to read it. <laughs> and I sit down and read it, and I have very mixed feelings. Because I am a perfectionist. I did not win 100%. We won 91% of the value. 91%. We won everything related to the partnership, which was the really driving force of the value. But we lost the donation. We lost it on the basis that the money borrowed, the debt taken out to fund the donation, which would be paid over time, and even the judge acknowledged, that it should be paid in full over time. 
The judge took the position that the debt qualified technically as limited recourse. So limited recourse kills the value of the donation on a technical tax mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. I wasn't happy. I was upset because I'm a perfectionist. I wanted to win 100%. A few weeks later, I get back to Toronto. We sit down with Al Meiji and his team, and, and he was quite, Al was quite blunt. He said, in my opinion, this was a results-oriented decision. You lost the donation because the judiciary had formed a view over time that these donation deals, and we were lumped in with all the others. And sadly, a whole bunch of the others had already gone to court in the prior number of years and lost. Loudly. Loudly. And so people were forming this adverse view that these donation deals, that had the word donation yeah. in it, it must be bad. Mm -hmm. So we lost on a technicality, and then our decision was, do we appeal or do we not? And we thought about it and thought about it, and... The advice we got from Al, which I think, in retrospect, was very good advice. He said, look, we're happy to appeal this for you, and we think we have great arguments. But he said, Judge Owen's a great judge. It was a great decision. It's a very lengthy, very well-reasoned decision. And Judge Owen's a great judge. And the way he wrote his decision, because he's a smart judge, he wrote it and he couched the denial or the loss of the donation in factual matrix. What's key about a factual matrix is you can't appeal factual mm, findings. Interesting. You can appeal legal findings, but factual findings, the bar is so high mm. that it's very difficult to convince an appeal court that you've, you, that the judge's findings of fact were fundamentally right. wrong. So Al said, look, if you go to the Federal Court of Appeal, I only get three hours. This was a three-week trial, a lot of facts, a lot of information. I get three hours at most. The Crown gets three hours. We can't make sense of the factual matrix for a panel of judges in three hours. And they're going to say, well, this judge, Judge Owen, he's a good judge. You know, he's well-respected. And these are factual matters. So he is, his advice was, you've won 91%. If you appeal, you're likely, I think the odds are you'll get the same result. But then we came up with a strategy to use the threat of the appeal as a tool to negotiate a settlement for our 500 clients in a whole series of programs. Because remember, when you go to court, you go to court on one. Right. So it's only binding on those specific clients in that one program. So you have to then find a way to convince or, or negotiate the CRA to apply that decision to all of the clients across, at that time, eight different programs in a variety of different years, hundreds of people across Canada. So we, uh, we used the threat of the appeal because they did not want this to go to appeal. And they weren't appealing. They lost 91%. They, they didn't, they didn't have any impetus to appeal. No. Okay. Their likelihood of winning on that portion was really low. Okay. So we also had done something that very few, in fact, possibly no one has done before. We sued the government for $400 million okay. on the basis of 
misfeasance of public office, that the way this had unfolded over the years, the fact that they had reversed the position of the auditor in 03 and 04 who said it worked, and they challenged it. Then in 05 and 06, they agreed it worked and didn't challenge it. Then we structure 9, 10, 11, 12 to be identical with 05 and 06, and they challenged it. And what made it even worse is they asked the same auditor, whose name I won't use, to audit the 2009 program after it was finished. And he gave them a 70-page report that said not only did it work on all levels, it was stronger than the 05 and 06. We had improved it by allowing investors and encouraging investors to fund money annually over time, which strengthened the investment portfolio component and strengthened the commercial reality of it. Um, They basically hid his report. They told us it didn't exist. They didn't produce it in the the litigation? In the litigation, they ultimately produced it, but here's what they did. They gave us hundreds, basically not hundreds, thousands of pages in hundreds of different PDF documents. Mm -hmm. They took his report and buried it in one of those PDFs with the cover page torn off, so he couldn't tell what it was, (laughs) and put a whole bunch of unrelated, useless uh, documents on top so that hoping we would open it, look at the first few pages and say, this isn't helpful to us, and close it. But my in-house counsel, Allison, was smarter than that. She kept (laughs) scrolling through the pages, and then all of a sudden, Eureka, she saw the report. She went through the report. And we were, we were ecstatic. We've got a report from their auditor that says everything works on all different levels. Technically, substantively, it works. So, so you sued them. We sued them. For, the, for dam- the, the, the damage that that caused to your business? Plus how they ran the audit, the fact that they, without any legitimate basis, they overturned the advice of their own auditors, both in 09 and in 03 and 04. Um, the fact that they didn't give us a fair hearing at the appeal level of CRA, the fact that they delayed everything for years and years, the fact that in 2004, not only did they challenge, they actually said that it was um, fundamentally flawed. In other, in, sorry, I used the word earlier. They basically said that it was a, a sham. And a sham implies that all of the legal documents are effectively fraudulent. They were signed without intention of enforcing the legal relationships. That's a serious allegation with no basis whatsoever. Ultimately, as a result of the Kassan case that we won, we were able to spend a year, first of all, negotiating with CRA, and they agreed to apply the Kassan case to all of our prior programs on an extremely attractive basis, provided we abandon the civil claim for damages. Okay. So now you're in a position where you've got the Kassan case that walks through every element of the program and adjudicates it. And then you have a 100-page settlement agreement that lumps in all the other years. It goes through every single year. Right. And allows 100% of the tax benefits that were comparable and relevant from Kassan. So when is all of that done and ink dry and signed? May 9th, 
2018. May 9, 2018. We signed. Uh, but if you get the if you get the decision in September of 2018. 2017. I made a mistake. Okay. So the the case ends in tax court in about June 2016. September 2017. We get the decision. May of 2018. Or 2019, I'm sorry. I, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019, a year, took a year and a half. Okay. So we actually signed a 100-page settlement agreement. Okay. And CRA did try to demand that the settlement agreement be confidential. Right. They didn't want anyone to see it. And we refused. Right. And ultimately, they relented. And so we have no confidential restrictions on showing yep. that settlement agreement, which lays out in great detail the allowance of all of the tax benefits and the deferral of the income, which are the fundamental backbone of the structure. Okay. So we have a case. We have a settlement agreement. We're in May of 19. You then start issuing again in uh, what time? 2020. 2020. So start a period of time. This is actually interesting because we have one of the limitations on the settlement, one caveat, a huge one, was we had to get significant buy-in from the investors. We had to get an 80% buy-in. So from May of 2019 till September, we had to go out to the investors and have them agree to what we had negotiated and sign a settlement agreement for each of the years that they were involved in. And then we had to talk to their advisors. We had to walk them wow. through it. We had hundreds of clients. By the fall of 2019, we got 96% to sign and buy in way more than we needed. Yeah. And then it was done. So beginning in 2020, we decided we're doing a new program. Okay. And we're going to model it exactly after all of the elements that fit within the Cassan decision at the Tax Court of Canada that was never appealed. So it's, right. it's good law, it's binding law. And the settlement agreement, which proves that whether Revenue Canada likes it or doesn't like it, they have consented, acquiesced, and accepted the structural elements and the tax consequences that come from those structural elements. That was a That's huge. huge okay. So, so the first issuance post the settlement agreement is when? First new product issuance is? We're... Uh, into early 2020, I believe, when we were able to structure, get it ready, apply for uh, a tax identification number. Right. And we realized there was actually a, some hidden benefits that generated from the decision in Cassandra, which we weren't expecting. The fact that Judge Owen took the position that the loans, both the partnership loan to acquire units in the partnership, Plus, the loan related to the donation, because he took the position both of them were limited recourse, it meant that we could now issue a new offering without the donation, which is the part we lost, and claim the debt as limited recourse as opposed to full recourse. It did not have any adverse impact on claiming any tax deductions within the framework of the partnership. It only applied adversely in the context of the donation. Mm -hmm. So now investors can buy this partnership with zero concern about a practical exposure on a large loan that's secured by the investment itself. 
Okay, so we're gonna do we're gonna do a separate thing on mechanics totally, but let's so let's go to so you issue in twenty, you issue again in twenty one. Sales are modest. Modest, not yeah. bad. Okay, modest. yeah. When does Gowlings come in to write the opinion on this product matches the Cassan slash settlement agreement? Um, we uh, actually had not had a historical connection with Gowlings. Right. We made that connection because of you, yeah. indirectly. Right. Uh, we so through discussions you and I had had, we reached out to Gowlings. And they has showed a significant interest in acting for us on something slightly different at first. That ultimately, as the relationship unfolded, one day I said, well, why wouldn't we go to Gallons, sit down with their senior tax team in Toronto and say, we want you to revisit the Cassan case, the settlement agreement and our current structure and go through it with a fine tooth comb and tell us what you think. And then tell us if you would consider issuing a clean, clear tax opinion with no caveats. We don't want any caveats. So they spent a while looking through it and they were more impressed than I was even hoping. Mm -hmm. They were very supportive. And in particular, Ash Gupta, who's the senior member of the team, was absolutely 100% support. And he said, we're happy to give you an opinion. He said, I have to get approval. We have to go back to our committees. What was so inspiring to me was CRA over the last 20 years has become incredibly and increasingly more aggressive. Yep. And everyone in the tax community sees it and knows it. And their positions that they take very often are now becoming more and more outlandish, mm -hmm. more and more aggressive. And as a result, many, in fact, almost all major law firms across the country are becoming very shy and very afraid of issuing an opinion on a tax structure, especially what's considered to be more of a public offering as opposed to a one-off. This is definitely product. a marketed product. This is yeah. a marketed product. So we were concerned that the overriding committee at Gallows would look at this and say, you know what, we don't care if you like this, Ash. We don't care if you think it works. We think the risk to our reputation and our partnership is too great. And I knew deep down inside that's what was likely to happen. So when they called me up and said, no, we're a go. <laughs> we're an absolute go. And I said, so I said one more thing. I said, Ash, I want to make sure you'll agree to the following. I said, when you give your opinion, the most important thing to me is the GAR opinion, the general anti-avoidance rule opinion. We cannot have any soft language there. We cannot have something that says, while not free from doubt, <laughs> should not violate GAR. I mean, those are that's language that tax lawyers love to use. A to dirty give should. <laughs> it's, a, it's considered a dirty should. Yeah. So I said, in fact... Ash, I'm going to get a shirt for you and John. A white shirt. John Sorensen. Put the book on. Put yeah. the book on, John. Yeah, yeah. Great so guy. we're yeah. with a circle on it, with a line across it. In the middle, it says, while not free from that. <laughs> and they laughed. They said, okay, we can give you a clean opinion. Yeah. And so they uh, 
they sat down to draft it. We did a lot of back and forth over a few months. We got the opinion, and it was just perfect. And and it's distributable, right? You're not claiming privilege on it. So clients can read the opinion. They can read the settlement agreement. They can read Cassandra. And we encourage them. Absolutely. Give it to your tax advisor. Yeah. Give it to your tax lawyer, your tax accountant. Let them read it yeah. and see that this isn't just Equigenesis that's telling you that this works. This is a major law firm who, by the way, we had no historical relationship with. So they're coming to the table owing us nothing. Right. Other than their fear of what exposure they could have if they made a mistake. So that was very... So so clients who are buying this 2022 and future versions are just, I mean, our view of this is it's so unique. It's been tried. The case is over. It's not been appealed. There's a settlement agreement. There's a Gallings opinion that says it all matches up with the settlement agreement and the, and the Cassandra. It's it's. I say to people sometimes, you're not going to buy. You don't buy this product. You're not. You're not buying anything in this space. So I want to point out that there's nothing actually controversial about what we do in the partnership. It's the result, the power of the tax result that sometimes makes people sit back and say, wow, I mean, is this too good to be true? It's the biggest reservation I we hear is it's, it, it sounds too good to be true. So, so we're going to, we're going to get, because right now people listening don't even know how good it is because we haven't talked the numbers yet. This has been the story of the product, right? The product has its own story and you're, weaved in there in such an incredible way, writing all those checks and supporting and, and and the outcome is so positive, both for you but but for the clients who are in the product and who are considering purchasing. So um you know maybe maybe we we leave that's really the history of the product. That brings us to today. And we need to get this concept across to people. You're in a vastly different position. For a structure that has not been adjudicated, that has not received a decision of the tax court that addresses every single issue related to the annual interest deductions and the deferral of income. So it's been adjudicated. It hasn't been appealed, which means now it can't be appealed. It can't be appealed for years now. So in the absence of a change of law, it is the law. Plus the minutes of settlement. Plus the minutes of subject. Plus the opinion that says this product is within the parameters of the consent case. And I have to say what's fat, what's very powerful about our situation is the Cassan case isn't somebody else's case. <laughs> it's not right. like we're right. taking Cassan and we're right. saying we're building a product around Cassan and then telling the world that we know what we're doing. Right. And we're just really merely recreating Cassan. The answer is Cassan was our case. Right. Cassan was Equigenesis. Cassan reviewed in minute detail all of our contracts, all of the cash flow elements, the structural diagrams, the underlying law that applied to the factual elements of the structure, and said it works on all those relevant levels. So we're not borrowing from somebody else. We know this case and the structure inside it. That has to create a significant level of comfort. So then add to that the settlement agreement, mm. which says whether whether the Minister of Revenue and the CRA likes what we do or not isn't really the relevant issue. The issue is they accepted it, 
They accepted it in writing. They applied it after one year of discussion and negotiation and signing a document 100 pages long. They applied it to hundreds and hundreds of our clients in different years and different programs. So they've accepted in a very tangible way that this works. So again, absent a change of law, what position is the CRA in if they suddenly reverse their position, which is a fear that a conservative person might have? And I don't think that's an unwarranted fear. You can't say CRA is never coming back and auditing this again. They they have a track record of doing reasonably bombastic things. So, <laughs> so maybe that's going to happen. So but, but what gives the lawyer comfort is, well, I know how this ends. This ends with us winning. Is the law still the law? Yeah. But I'll add one more thing. We have proven over more than 20 years that we will be there to defend That's for sure. Yeah. We will be there. As long as Ken Gordon's alive, yeah. we will be there to defend our investors. And, and we've you know done what? it time and again. Zach Gordon's coming up, so we're all good. <laughs> uh, okay, I think that's good for the lawyers. Thanks very much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or maybe you have something to add to the conversation, we're at redjacket.ca. And on the website, you'll see the phrase relationships matter. We really believe that and encourage you to start one with us. Thanks again for listening.